Welcome to Get Right for Sunday, a podcast designed to help you prepare for Sunday and beyond. I am Pastor Wright, and each week I have a conversation exploring the Bible readings for this upcoming Sunday. Join us as we discuss how the lessons are applied to our daily life in Christ. Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. Hi, I'm Pastor Wright. And I'm Vicar Hill. And today we're going to look at the readings for the third Sunday of Easter. And if you'd like to hear all the readings read to you, you can do so by listening to the reading podcast dropped before this one. So we're still celebrating Easter. And I sincerely mean that. We are still celebrating Easter. We're still trying to figure out what it means that Jesus came back from the dead. And I appreciate that because that's exactly what the disciples are doing. In the gospel lesson, according to St. John, the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 14, Jesus reveals himself for the third time. And it's interesting, and there's a lot to it. And then at the same time, it's pretty straightforward. So, there are the disciples, and I I love verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. This humongous event, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the scene of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and then Peter's response is, I'm going fishing. (laughs) You got anything to say on that, Vicar? It seems like it's kind of uh, back to back to normal life <laughs> a little bit, uh, back to doing what what I'm good at. And we see um, Peter and the disciples; uh, they do what they know. And um, I don't know if this is necessarily uh, a bad thing. Um, I've heard people kind of make comments that, well, Peter gave up on. Uh, you know, the resurrected Jesus and and the mission that Jesus had for him, and he's just going back to fishing. Well, I don't know if that's it. Uh, I don't think G- uh, Peter here is is sinning or anything like that, but it might just be a practical thing. They needed something to eat. So I really appreciate that because um, the buildup to this and trying on my part to make light of the statement, let's go fishing. Again, what did Peter and the other disciples witness the trial, the beating, the crucifixion, the death, the burial. And then on top of that, they witness something incredibly unnatural. Jesus comes back from the dead. Dead people don't come back from the, the dead. They, they don't miraculously come back to life. And last week we heard that while they were fearing for their lives— They were in the upper room, and Jesus shows up. And this is the next event in the revealing of the resurrection of Jesus. And I appreciated what you said. It's not that they're running away. It's not that they've given up hope. It's not that they don't have anything else to do. Might as well go fishing. They go to what is comfortable, what is known, what they understand. It could be that they were hungry, and this is how they feed themselves. Uh, There's a couple of things. I don't want to read too much into this, but I also don't want to diminish it where it's, you know, 
Peter doesn't know what else to do, so, well, he's going to take a break and go fishing. There's a lot of practicalities to this. Um, the big thing that I want to say, he's not abandoning the mission. He's not giving up hope, and he's not bringing the disciples with him. I like the idea that this is their chance to figure out what to do. They're doing what they know to do. That was their occupation. Now they can have busy hands while they're trying to figure out what's the next step. How do we deal with the fact Jesus is back from the dead? And then on top of this, the, the big question, we've been sent. Where are we going? What are we doing? And I, you know, I, I'm sure there was a lot of discussions taking place. So while they're trying to figure all of this out, and just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. This sounds really familiar, as if he's done this before. There was another time when the disciples, before they were disciples, were fishing, doing their, their day jobs, their night jobs, and a fruitless night. And Jesus calls to them, did you catch anything? And you know that just annoyed them. No. Well, why don't you cast your net on the other side? And you know they're like, because that makes all the difference. But they do. And so, again, they say no. And he tells them, cast the nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and they haul in the, the great quantity. And that's when John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So I'm going to make a jump in connection to the dots. I think John gets it. And the reason I think John gets it is because this happened before. I don't know what the other disciples are thinking and so on and so forth. Do you have anything to add or, or do you have any thoughts on that? I think that's a, a, a reasonable assumption because I think that word, the 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 way Jesus addresses them, children. Yeah. Uh, I like the one translation you read, lads. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of this, but the, it's this kind of authoritative, uh, I mean, because if someone's a, chil a, a child, someone, it's kind of this position of authority. Mm -hmm. I'm the father or the parent, you're the child. And so he's kind of uh, not talking down to them in a bad sense, but kind of demonstrating this authority over them. And then he gives them some direction mm -hmm. and they actually listen. Um, so with that and everything you said, that this this should sound familiar, uh, maybe, oh, that sounds like what Jesus has said to us before. Um, I think it's it's pretty reasonable to assume some dots are being connected there. So with that, Peter gets it and understands. And when he heard that it was the Lord, he puts on his outer garment and jumps in the sea and swims to shore. And I love this. He abandons, it was his idea to go fishing. Mm -hmm. And he abandons everybody to go back to shore to swim to where Jesus is so that everybody else can haul in the nets. There's so many fish, they can't even bring them into the boats. And Peter abandons them. See you guys. You guys can take care of that, right? Yep. And yeah, he jumps and goes. And then, um, this is verse 9, when they got on, out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place uh, with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And we find out how many fish. 
It's 153. Vicar, what is the significance of 153? I think that was Peter's favorite number. <laughs> Peter's favorite number. I, I, um, there's several commentaries that make a, a big deal about it's 12 divided by 7 plus 4 to the square root of pi or something. Um, it, there, there is derivative of 12. I think 7's in there too. Um, I'm really curious if the number matters. Do you do you think the number matters, the number of fish? Um, the best thing I've heard on this is just that it's, uh, it's a striking detail mm-hmm. that kind of proves the validity of this as an eyewitness account. Uh, I like that. that. They, they, went, they took the time to count them all, mm-hmm. probably because they were so amazed. Um, and the, I mean, the point that they're large fish too. These aren't just, you know, the rinky-dink ones that they would normally catch. They're big old fish. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's just that little kind of touch of, yeah, this actually happened because we wouldn't make up a number of 153. So a little eyewitness detail. No, I, I like that. And I, I like that it's 153. That's not a small catch. That That is an awfully large number. And then, like you said, large fish. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Again, a very important aspect of this. And then Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, and I love this, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, a night of fruitless fishing, Jesus showing up, casting out on the right side, 153 fish, and then Jesus cooks breakfast for everybody. Is this the end? Do we just say Jesus is nice and he makes breakfast and we move on? I mean, that, that's what he does in the retirement after fulfilling all God's law. He now takes up his hobby of being a chef. I like that. I guess that's one way you could take it. <laughs> uh, but I think there's some some other connections. Maybe, maybe some theological stuff happening. Perhaps. Maybe. Um, but with this, especially uh, when they actually recognize who it is, make it back to land, um, the big point that I would kind of stress with this uh, is that we see Jesus again serving his disciples. Uh, and this is very counter to any uh, to any earthly king that we would see uh, in history or what have you, um, because when there's someone who's a king, someone mm-hmm. in charge, uh, they're not the one doing the serving. Uh, but here we have Jesus serving once again. And I say once again because we kind of think back to the other times Jesus served um, not that long ago in the mm-hmm. gospel account on Maundy Thursday when he uh, gets down on the floor gets down and washes their stinky feet. Yeah. Uh, and then he, again, kind of serves them uh, the Passover meal uh, and institutes his supper. And here we have the service again, where he's graciously made them breakfast. Um, and so with this, this act of Jesus serving his people comes out pretty clear here. So I really like that. Um, and uh, before we pushed record, we, we had this big discussion about, about the whole idea of service. And so we can immediately see that Jesus serves the disciples. He has the fish, the fire, and bread ready for them, um, and he, he's going to make them breakfast. But also the bigness, 
that his resurrection is the service of life, the service of forgiveness, the service of the the fulfillment of the completion of God's law, and it, he is standing right there for them. Uh, but I asked Vicar the bigger question, what about us? It's great for the disciples who get to eat the fish that Jesus made for them. It's great for the disciples to see the resurrected Jesus, but what about us some 2,000 years later. Vicar, you had a great answer. Do you remember it? What if I said no? I don't remember. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so what I kind of um, drew this back to for us nowadays is we have uh, worship mm-hmm. where God serves us with his gifts. Um, so when we come to worship, God is the one who is giving us the gift of his word, uh, the gift of his sacraments, the gift of the forgiveness of sins. And with that, those are all things that we receive when we come to worship. Uh, so sometimes people want to make worship something that, you know, it's what we're doing mm-hmm. for God, uh, which I love, which like as if God needs yep. our worship. Uh, this is God giving us his gifts. Uh, worship is is for our benefit and that's where this service comes into play for us nowadays. And I really appreciated this answer because we actually call the service the divine service. And this isn't because we have the liturgy falling out of heaven, and now we, we do the divine service as if, as if it's something magical and you know so on and so forth. It really is God coming to us to serve us, as you said, forgiveness, uh, word and sacrament, uh, peace, mercy, all that he has for us. And the other thing that I, I'm really glad you brought out, um, we can't be arrogant in worship and say this is something we do. And now I'm going to struggle with this. And again, before pushing record, we we were uh, discussing this. How do we then look at worship? Is it a completely passive thing? Are we just to sit there and let God do all the work? And with that, what about preaching? What about hymnody? What about the liturgy? How? What do we do in worship? If God's doing all the work and we don't do any work, what do we do with worship? I I would say uh, we actively receive. uh, And there is this bit of participation that we engage in Mm -hmm. um, because when, uh, you know, if you take the approach that worship is purely God giving us his gifts, uh, I just have to show up and be a warm body in the pew. And then I receive the full. Uh, benefit of his gifts. Well, that's not quite it, nope. um, because there is this active part where you need to be um, participating in worship uh, in that, and that's why <laughs> maybe an oxymoron, but actively receiving the gifts he gives us. Mm-hmm. And the way that we really do that in worship uh, is when we participate um, almost the entire time we participate, when we say things, when we sing things, we're repeating back what God has said to us. Uh, and so in that way, 
we do need to participate. We need to uh, to listen, to repeat, to say things to God. Um, but all of those kind of point us back to the work that He has done for us mm-hmm. in Jesus Christ. No, I, I can't agree more, and I appreciate that on so many levels. Uh, God does all the verbs in the service, uh, and you said multiple times the participation. Just look at the text, uh, verse ten. Jesus said to them. Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Now he already ready, he already had fish and bread, but what does he do? He includes their work. And, and I like what you said. It's the, the participation. They participate in this meal by the gift of the fish that Jesus gave to them by telling them, cast your nets on the, the right side, the miracle. They didn't get those fish by their work. They worked all night and didn't get anything. And not until Jesus acts, not until God acts, do they have something. And I, I love the idea that they're really only bringing the gifts of God to God. And in the divine service, that's exactly what we're doing. We're participating in what God has already done, continues to do, and we will see the full fulfillment in the resurrection. And I I really do get excited when we start talking about worship, receiving, um, and the whole idea of how passive—excuse me, how passive are we? Um, How much are we active in this? And this is where it gets really interesting with faith, because as baptized members of Christ, we participate in this work. How active are we? Well, we do this naturally as the newly baptized creatures we are in Christ. This is something that now flows out of us because it's been put into us, and we really do get to receive. And again, it's not just being a warm body with butts in the pews. We actively receive this. Uh, This is a want, this is a desire, because Jesus has revealed himself through the Holy Spirit that we see this is where we get those gifts. This is where we get his service. And going back to the whole Monday Thursday, especially when Jesus goes to wash the stinky feet, and I I have a thing about feet, they're they're, they're gross, they're bad, they're, oh, it's it's, just—I don't know what I would do if if I was in that situation. But what does Peter say when Jesus bends down to wash his feet? No, you will not wash my feet. I will wash your feet. And Jesus, no. This is John the Baptist. I don't, I can't baptize you. You should baptize me. No, where do I do this to fulfill all righteousness? But then Peter, when he says, okay, Jesus, you can wash my feet, but don't, don't stop at my feet wash my whole body. And Jesus says, it's enough to have clean feet, because then your whole body, and this is going to the forgiveness of sins and the promise of life, the whole idea that we're cleansed in his work. But Peter had to be broken down, so to speak, to receive this, to understand this wasn't him. It wasn't him suddenly, oh, you're right, I'll relax, I'll sit back, and you, you will serve me. It is the receiving, and that's hard. Um, I I don't know about about you, dear listener, but it's hard to have people serve you because you you feel almost guilty. You feel like you're putting somebody underneath you. And then I I like what you said at, at the beginning of the podcast. It's not really right to have the king of all creation come to you and serve you. 
like the disciples. They're served breakfast by the one who created all things. I don't know if it dawned on them that, that that's taking place. But that's what happens to us in the divine service. And do we really fully get that? And that's not to throw anybody under the bus. That's just the bigness of the divine service. As you were talking there, I was kind of smiling to myself because sometimes I get in trouble with my wife because I don't like to let people help right, or yeah. let people do things for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that kind of ties in with what we're saying here because— um, you know, when we're thinking about worship, uh, and you kind of preached on it recently, um, did I sing loud enough? Did I do enough? Uh, this idea that it's it's our thing to mm-hmm. be done, uh, when the primary focus should be on what's being done and given to us in the worship service, uh, where we come, um, you know, the probably the biggest example of this is in the Lord's Supper, right. where the Lord Jesus Christ serves us his body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith, uh, a gift that we cannot, uh, we can't earn, we can't do anything to get it. Uh, we, we certainly can't um, receive that ourselves, but it is given to us, and in that we receive his service. So, um, again, the whole receiving thing, I, I asked Vicar, how do we deal with this? How do we, um, how do we not make this our work? How do we not look at God and say, "You did this, and I respond this way"? Look how good I am. And I actually wrote down your answer, and I'll, I'll quote you: "You let Him serve you." And I thought that was a great answer. Uh, first of all, it, it goes to my pride. I let God serve me. But then it really puts us in, in the place that we need to be. I can't feed myself the gospel. I can't feed myself God. I can't feed myself forgiveness. I can't feed myself the very life of Christ. But when I know who is there through faith, through the work that God has done in me, then why would I not let? Why would I not receive? And again, it takes it completely off me. It's not like I chose to be baptized. I chose to be forgiven. It's I know where these gifts are, and I go to where it is offered and delivered. And I, I thought that was a really good answer. You let him. Uh, and it's that participation because you've been brought into this life, this church, this confession, this faith. So and, I think big, 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 big answer. And with that, it's the recognition of uh, that the the hard reality that we're not enough. Right. Um, because if we if we strip away our need for a savior and say, I can do it, mm-hmm. I can handle it, I can fix it myself. Uh, then Jesus becomes really obsolete. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's that recognition of who we are and then being filled with the gifts that he gives us. And this is the, the joy of the continued Easter celebration, the bigness of dealing with the fact that Jesus has come back from the dead for you, and you get to receive and you get to have the divine truly serve you the gifts of life everlasting. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? 
This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.